It's been four weeks since I've been behind the pulpit. Uh, I don't know why. But I'm thankful for Daniel Ritchie last Sunday, Robert Leto the Sunday before, and then Pastor Enoch the Sunday before that. Um, I've been eager to get back behind the pulpit. Uh, and I woke up this morning and I was just ecstatic knowing that I was going to get to preach. Um, for those of you in the room who know what that feels like, that's how I woke up. It was exciting. Um, but go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts 21. Acts chapter 21, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 36. If you're a first-time visitor here this morning, my name is Jesse Herring. I'm the pastor here at Red Cross Baptist. I'm thankful uh, to be the pastor here at Red Cross. Um, I don't know if the church is thankful for me, but I'm thankful for them. But I'm just kidding. You don't have to argue. <laughs> but um, it has been a good few weeks um, just to kind of sit with my family and listen to preaching and and so, but I am thankful to be back up here. The title of today's sermon is this, Paul's Devotion in Jerusalem. Paul's Devotion in Jerusalem. We are now, so we've finished the third missionary journey. Paul has arrived in Jerusalem. All right, we've been in Acts for almost two years. Um, and I, my, my, my hope was to finish it by the end of this year. It's not going to happen. Um, and so we'll, we'll, uh, we're going to take a few weeks off uh, at around cr- Christmas time, probably do a Christmas or Advent series. I know next Sunday we're going to take a break from Acts again because we're going to do a deacon ordination service next Sunday for Trey Barbie. And uh, but um, let's go ahead and dig back into the book of Acts and let's see where Paul is today. So Acts 21, if you're there, say word. Fantastic. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts 21, verses 17 through 36. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother... How many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in. And the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. 
Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and he has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran to, together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us this morning. Help us to grow and to see the truth that you have in your word. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Paul has finally made it to Jerusalem. We know that this has been his goal for the past few chapters. He's, he, they've collected a, a love offering from the Gentile churches to bring to the Jerusalem church. Paul wanted to make it here just in time for the Passover so that, so that he can bring this offering to the church. He's finally here. He, he's encountered trials, beatings. He's been run out of town. He's had his life threatened. And yet through it all, he's remained devoted to God. Even here in this passage, we see that he's even arrested and taken away. But that doesn't stop him from his devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to see over the next few chapters, the next, the, actually the rest of the book of Acts, Paul's defense, we're going to see his, his stand on the gospel, his devotion to it. So here's the main idea I've got for you this morning. And if you, if, if you've got a bulletin, there's a, there's an outline on the bulletin that you can just fill out. The main idea is, is this. In the midst of trials and triumphs, our lives are to be devoted to God. It's that simple. In the midst of trials and triumphs, whether we are going through struggles or we're having a good life, our lives are to be devoted to God. Now, I know that this morning, many of you here are probably struggling in some way. Struggling, suffering, hurting, you're in pain. It may have been difficult for you to even walk through these doors this morning. It may have been difficult for you to even roll out of bed this morning. But I want you to know that even in the midst of our sufferings, our calling is to be devoted to the one who was devoted to us by giving his life for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where our, our devotion lies. Now, I've mentioned this guy's name before. This is George Mueller. He was a Christian evangelist from Bristol, England. He was known for opening up orphanages. And he was asked one time... The secret of his service. And Mueller responded by saying this. He said, there was a day when I died. Utterly died. Died to George Mueller. His opinions, his preferences, his tastes, and his will. I died to the world. 
its approval or censure, die to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only to God. George Mueller had a devotion to God. We, church, as believers in Christ, should have a devotion to God. And I'm not talking about a a devotion that leads to salvation because we don't believe that. We don't believe that we can do anything, that we can work in any way or live in any way in which we can earn this salvation. But because we've been saved, because we have received salvation, because daily we receive grace from God, our lives are to be devoted to Him. And let's see what this looks like. i got four points for you this morning. Point one. Paul is devoted to the spread of Christ's name. He's devoted to the spread of Christ's name. We see here in in this passage, verse 17 through 19, when he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Now remember, this is Luke and Paul. Luke is writing this, us. Brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. Remember James, the half-brother of Jesus? He's, He's the one that's head of the Jerusalem church. Went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he, Paul, related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul is giving a testimony account of everything that God has done through his ministry. Kent Hughes is a, uh, is a pastor and, 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 and a great commentator. And in one of his commentaries, he shares an illustration of a blonde elderly woman who I believe is in Africa, who who wants to share the gospel, but she cannot read or write. So she goes to her missionary and asks him for a Bible that is written in French. And she asks him to underline in red John 3.16 and to mark in that Bible where that verse is. So the missionary does so, and he's kind of curious as to why this blind elderly woman wants a Bible written in French with a verse underlined. So he kind of follows her. Guess kind of stalkerish. Nowadays you get arrested for doing that. But he follows her and he wants to see what she's going to do with this Bible. Well, she goes to the school that I'm assuming she's working at. And when school lets out, these boys are running out the front door and she is approaching these boys. And she's asking them to open the Bible where it is marked and read the verse that is underlined in French. And they read it in French. And she asked them, she says, do you know what that verse means? And they say, no. And what does she do? She tells them about Jesus Christ. And the missionary is just flabbergasted. Wow, that's amazing. Come to find out, 24 of the schoolboys, 24 of the many that this elderly woman led to Christ went on to become pastors of the gospel. Just because she showed a Bible verse and shared Jesus Christ with them. Paul has that same desire and he expresses it to the church leaders in Jerusalem by sharing with them all that God has done through his ministry. God's done a lot through his ministry. We've seen it over the past year and a half as we've gone through the book of Acts. We've seen the trials. We've seen the triumphs. We've seen the people that Paul has approached. We see the churches that have been planted. We've seen the lives that have been saved. And Paul is sharing this with this, with this group of church leaders. 
Paul says in Romans 15, 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. It is his ambition to preach the gospel. I told you it's been four weeks since I've been up here preaching. I miss this. Preaching is my passion and it is Paul's passion to preach the gospel. But church, it is to be every believer's passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. At your job, at the grocery store, at family gatherings. We have rules at Thanksgiving and Christmas with with my family. Don't bring up politics and religion. Yeah, good luck. Especially when you have a pastor in the family. That's coming up. And so we we want to bring the gospel in. We want we should desire to share that. Paul says in in First Thessalonians two eight, he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul's desire for people to know Jesus. His devotion is to spread the name of Christ, not the name of Paul. We live in a culture today where we even see preachers who their desire is not to spread the name of Jesus, but to spread their own name. They want to build a popularity. They want to build a celebrity culture. That's a quick trip to failure right there. Our desire should be to lift high the name of Jesus. Even when Paul is in prison and writing to the church at Philippi, he tells him in Philippians 1, 12 and 13, he says this, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial garden to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is even in shackles and he's sharing the name of Jesus. He's not, he, he's not weeping and, and grieving over his trials and suffering. He's spreading the name of Christ. He doesn't see his trials as an opportunity to receive pity, but instead as an opportunity to spread the gospel. He takes his trials and uses it as that. Paul knows suffering. Basically, every city that he went into to share the gospel, he was run out of. Had his life threatened on the brink of death by being stoned. And he's about to undergo more suffering here in Jerusalem. But he never lets go of his devotion to spread the name of Christ. In fact, his suffering fuels him to spread the name of Jesus. Church, I don't know about you, but I want that kind of joy. I want that kind of joy to where my suffering fuels my devotion to share Christ. I want that kind of joy where no matter what trials may come my way, Christ is still greater. The kind of joy where no matter what suffering I I deal with, his name is more powerful. To where no matter what trials may come my way, he is sovereign over all things. I want that joy. Paul had that joy. Paul had that joy of, of, well, you know what? You keep preaching the gospel. We're just going to arrest you and throw you in prison. All right, I'm going to sing hymns and I'm going to convert every guard you have and share the gospel. All right, well, then we're just going to shut your mouth. That's okay. I'm going to still be happy and smile and everything. All right, well, then we're going to kill you for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Can you imagine the kind of joy Paul has? I'm preaching to myself right, right now. 
I want that joy. To know that my suffering, my trials are an opportunity to share the love of Jesus. Not only is Paul devoted to spread the name of Christ, point two, he's devoted to magnify God's glory. He's devoted to magnify God's glory. Look at, look at verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified God. They heard the testimony. They heard all that Paul has gone through, all the churches that have been planted, all the people that have been saved. And what did they do? They glorify God. Tatiana Shoemaker. I said that name wrong probably. But you probably heard her name this year. She was an Olympic swimmer from South Africa. And and I, I kept trying to keep tabs on her. Uh, she won the gold medal this year in the 200 meter breaststroke. In so doing, in so doing, she gave all glory to God. When she was interviewed, she gave all glory to God. She wore two caps when she was swimming. The top cap was a green cap. It was her South Africa cap. But underneath it was a white cap. Had a Christian fish symbol on it and the words, Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. And she used that opportunity to point people to the one who used her to win. What a, what a testimony for her who was going to be on national news to have something that is going to share the name of Christ and to give glory to God because of what's happened. She didn't talk about how, how man, you know what? It was, you know, It's because I'm strong and fast. That's why I want. No, she says the first thing, all glory to God for why I won. The news about what God has done in Paul's ministry has led to God being glorified. It's a great testimony. Great testimony. He didn't share the testimony to give himself glory. He did it to give God the glory. And the rest of the church celebrated with him. Church, listen, all that we do, all that we do, everything we do is meant to be done to the glory of God. Everything we do, every action, every ministry, every sermon, every, every outreach, every money that comes out of this church, every money that comes into this church, it's all done for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul's devotion to magnify God's glory is exemplified tremendously through his letters to the churches. He says in Romans 11, 33 to 36, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or, or who has been his counselor? Or who has been given a gift to, or, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Church, God deserves the glory. Whether in trial or triumph. Whether we're suffering or not. God deserves all the glory because he's using all things for his glory. Romans 8, 28. For those who love God, God works out all things for our good and his glory. Your suffering is being used 
to the glory of God. There's no such thing as purposeless suffering for a believer. No such thing. And many of you are here this morning and you're hurting. Can I first say that you're not alone? Can I say that? You're not alone in your struggles this morning. There are many people here this morning who are in pain. There are many people here this morning who didn't want to even come because they're hurting, suffering, struggling. I don't know what it is you may be going through, but you're not alone. That's the reason why the gathering of the church is necessary. Just one of the reasons so that we can share one another's burdens. Church, you're not alone. And can I also say, though, that no matter what trial you're going through, no matter what suffering you're dealing with, God is working through you this morning. He's working through you and he's working in you. Why? So that he may be glorified. Church, he is. And through all that Paul has been through, through all that Paul knows that he's going to go through, he still gives God glory. Why? Because God deserves it all. He deserves it all. This is a man who knows, who knows that he's going to suffer greatly for this. This is a man who knows that for the sake of the gospel, he's going to die for this. And yet he still glorifies the one who is leading him through it. Church, God deserves the glory and we should be devoted to magnify that. No matter what you're struggling with, we are called to magnify God's glory. I'm hurting this morning, but yet I'm awake. I'm struggling this morning, but I'm here. I feel alone, but I've got a church family. I don't know what to do, but I know the one who can give me wisdom and lead me in the right way. The one who deserves all glory, we should magnify him. Not only is Paul devoted to magnify God's glory, but thirdly, he's devoted to secure the church's unity. He's devoted to secure the church's unity. Now, this is where it gets a little weird. So Paul comes He gives the good news. He talks about all the work that God's done through his ministry. And the elders of the the Jerusalem church are excited. They glorify God because of it. But then in verse 20, they said, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. There's a situation. (laughs) Let me tell you, for some reason in church, whenever there's a really good Sunday morning service or whenever things tend to be going well, in the back of my mind, I'm like, when am I getting that phone call? Or when am I going to get that email? Or when am I going to get that note in my box that nobody wants to sign their name to but yet complain about something? Like, I'm just waiting. Things go good. Satan's ready to attack. Here, things are going great for Paul. Gentile church is growing. 
But the Jerusalem church is being told rumors that Paul is telling the Jews to forsake Moses and to not circumcise their, their, their children. And so the Jerusalem church is trying to figure out what to do to bring some unity. Basically, they say, this is great that all these Gentiles are being saved, but don't forget about the Jews here. These Jews, they have come to know Jesus since Pentecost. They know Christ is the only way to salvation. These are not Jews that are believing in works of the law to be saved. But they do see the, this following of the law as Jewish customs. So they want to keep following the festivals. They want to keep doing certain Jewish practices. Because they see it as customs in their lives. And so the elders, they tell Paul that these Jews are concerned. And so they say in verse 24, I'm sorry, verse 23, do therefore what we, what we tell you. This is a, a, a plan that they have. We have four men who are under a vow. This is the Nazarite vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So what happens? Hey, Paul, take the Nazarite vow with these four men. Go through the process so that you're showing the Jews that you still observe the law as 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 well. There's a little bit of irony here. The irony is that Paul's desire was to make it to Jerusalem in time for Passover because Paul still wanted to take part in Passover. Paul is not saying that he's against the observance of the law. Paul is only saying observing the law doesn't save you. Paul is saying that, that, that only Christ alone can save you. So what do the elders say? Take this vow, Paul. Number 6, 1 through 13. All right, this is just a little bit of background. The Nazarite vow, you can find more information in, in number 6. It's, it's about pursuing a holy lifestyle of a single devotion to God. All right, they are to avoid wine, dead bodies, anything else un, 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 unclean. They asked, and so they asked Paul to take part in this to show the Jews that Paul does not oppose the law. And so what does Paul do? He agrees to it. Even though Paul has the freedom to not do it, he agrees to it. Why? Because he wants to secure the church's unity. He doesn't want to bring any unnecessary division within the church. 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Paul is not denying the gospel by taking part in this Jewish custom. He's not doing anything sinful here. I like what Al Mohler said in his commentary on this, on, on this passage. He said, The gospel cannot change, but our presentation of it at times must. Paul's using this as an opportunity to present the gospel. He's free to have done whichever because we are saved by grace and this is a conscience issue. And it's possible through the freedoms that we have as, as believers. Hear me, church. 
It's possible through the freedoms we have to bring about division with those freedoms. I'm talking about any kind of freedom. We're dealing with some of it today, and we can even be enslaved to these freedoms. We can be. But we must not allow them to come in between us and the church. We must not allow our freedoms we have in Christ to come in between our opportunity to keep unity in the church. And I do believe that we're coming into a time where the church is going to be more divided than ever. What unites us? The blood of Christ. We're going to have different views on different things. And we should not allow that to divide us. We are to be devoted to secure the church's unity. Moeller said it well. Paul, though free from the law, made himself a servant of the law in order to love his brothers and sisters in Christ. That is true Christian liberty. And I believe that all people on all sides of all issues that are not sinful issues can learn that. That we need to keep unity in the church. Not only is Paul devoted to secure the church's unity, fourth, Paul is devoted to possess a gospel commitment. Devoted to possess a gospel commitment. Verse 27. Verse 27 through, through verse 36, we see when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was, was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. What's happening? Day seven of the Nazarite vow is a day of cleansing. But Paul does not even get to go through that process. Jews from Asia recognize Paul in the temple and they stir up the crowd and they seek to have him killed. Now, do you remember in Acts 20 when all these people were talking about how Paul's going to go away in shackles? He's going to be in prison and he's going to suffer. We're seeing it. This is where this happens. These Jews are accusing him of, of teaching against the people, the law, and the temple. Much like Stephen's charge in Acts chapter 6. They drag Stephen out of the temple and they stone him. They also accuse Paul that he has brought Greeks into the temple, Trophimus, which is not proven true. Paul would not have done that. So the city is stirred up and they're about to kill Paul until... The tribune comes. Verse 32, the tribune at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Paul's, Paul's being, they're trying to kill him. They've got so much hatred towards him right now. They want to kill him. Verse 33, then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Two chains because they believe that because of as much confusion and what's going on that Paul is a criminal. 
He inquired who he was and what he had done. And some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as as the tribune could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. And when Paul came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. He was weak. Carried by the soldiers. Brought to the barracks. Thrown in jail. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him. It's very similar to the situation with Jesus. Away with him can also mean kill him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Remember that with Jesus? Due to the confusion, they arrest Paul and they take him away. But here's the thing, church. Paul is devoted, fourthly, to possess a gospel commitment. He's devoted to possess a gospel commitment. He knew this was going to happen. But he came to Jerusalem anyway because the Spirit had put it on his heart to come. He knew he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to be in prison. He knew this was going to be rough. But Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He doesn't try to escape. He doesn't. He is instead following God's will and he will endure the suffering that is going to come all the while lifting the name of Jesus and glorifying God. What we're going to see over the next couple of chapters, church, is Paul on trial, imprisoned. And his defense is a gospel commitment. He is going to use this opportunity as a way to preach the gospel to the people that are trying him. He has devoted to possess a gospel commitment. So that no matter what trial or suffering comes, he's committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the promises that that gospel offers. Paul is, Paul is here and I'm sure going through his mind, he's... He's quoting scripture. I can, I, I can imagine him quoting Isaiah 40. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I can, I, I can imagine Paul being reminded of all the stories of the Old Testament. Of where God has never left his people. And has never forsaken his people. I'm sure he's being reminded of the promise that God gives Joshua. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm sure he's being reminded of, of all the times where, where God had come and helped and strengthened and empowered. But through it all, he's devoted to possess a gospel commitment. He wants people to know who Jesus is. And he's willing to suffer for it. He's willing to suffer for it. Church, where's your devotion at this morning? Are you devoted to God? Now we can sit here and throw out, yeah, I read my Bible every day. Yeah, I pray. Yeah, I do this. I do this. 
But how do we know that we have a devotion to God? Where's our heart at? Where's our heart at? We can go through the motions and our heart not be in it. We can go through the motions and not be devoted to God, but only be devoted to these works that make it think, that even make us think we're devoted to them. Church, we are called to have a devotion to God in the midst of trials and triumphs. Whether things are going good, like how things were going with Paul, with giving the testimony, and yeah, man, God's working within our church. And I can give that testimony too. We've had some triumphs here. We've seen growth. We've seen people saved. We've seen people ordained. We've seen people baptized. We've seen life change in our church. There have been triumphs. We've had our fair share of trials too. And you can say that individually. You've had your fair share of triumphs and you've had your fair share of trials. But through those, can we say that our devotion is to God? Or is our devotion to our own security and safety? Is our devotion to our own personal benefit or to the glory of God? Is our devotion to not be offended or is it to be willing to spread the name of Jesus to anybody that we come in contact with? Is our devotion a gospel commitment or is a commitment to self, self-preservation, self-security, self-satisfaction, self-whatever you want to put there? Or is it a gospel commitment where we fully trusted in who Christ is? Paul is willing to suffer for the gospel because his faith is in the one who suffered for him. He is devoted to Christ. Why? Because Christ is devoted to him. Church, we can be devoted to Christ because our faith is not found on our hold of him, but on his hold of us. There is nobody that shows more devotion to you than Jesus Christ does. So I pray that that's where your devotion is at this morning. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. We are thankful for your grace and your mercy. We're thankful for... For everything that you do for us, God, for waking us up this morning and bringing us to church and and just being able to sing songs and hear your promises and just rest in your grace. God, I pray that you would help us today. We there are many of us in here, if not all of us who are struggling with something. God, I pray that you would strengthen us. Pray that you would help us to endure. I pray that you would empower us. I pray, God, you would remind us of your promises, of your gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that you are devoted to us and that we can see that on your cross. God, help us. Help us to have lives that are devoted to you, no matter our circumstances. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.